If you have a copy of God's Word, would you open it with me? We're going to be in Colossians 3. Colossians 3, continuing our series that we're calling Rooted. Have you ever heard it said that somebody was so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good? You heard that statement before? It's a statement that suggests that somebody is so focused on eternity, so uh, focused on heaven and the heavenly things that they lose touch of reality. They lose the ability to live in the present in any sort of meaningful way. But the fact is, when you go to Scripture, you're going to find that the Bible consistently calls us to set our hearts and our minds on eternity, to set our hearts and our minds on eternal things, on heaven and the things of God. In fact, living with the end in mind is one of the core principles of the Christian life. It turns out that this eternity thing was actually God's idea. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that it was God who put eternity into the hearts of men. But this morning, we're going to see that Scripture calls us uh, not only to put our focus on eternity, but when the Scriptures call us to focus on the end, it's not a means of escape from our present reality. The Bible doesn't uh, call us just to float along in the clouds and ignore the earth around us. In fact, the Bible says that we are responsible for taking care of the earth. We're responsible for ruling well here on the earth, uh, managing our families, working, all of these things we find in Scripture, pushing back against the darkness of this world. And I don't know about you, but, but I do think that over my 35, 36, it's getting more every single year, I think I've seen some people in the world who do seem to be so infatuated with heaven that they don't seem to care about the things happening around them. In some ways, their attitude kind of suggests that the world can quite literally go to hell because they're just focused on heaven and eternal things. Our culture seems to be really good at giving either ors, but what I'm hoping we'll see today is that the Bible actually presents a both and for us. The Bible teaches us, friends, that we are to be so heavenly minded that we do good on the earth. That we're to be so heavenly minded that we change the earth for good. But all of that starts with finding ourselves rooted in our identities in Christ in such a way that our perspective and our plans change. And they look radically different than they did before we knew Christ. So with that said, I want us to direct our attention to Colossians 3, the first four verses. Then we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us understand and apply his word. Here's what the word of God says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. God, help us today. I pray that we would understand your word in a a way that helps us not only know more, but God would help us grow, would help us become who it is that you want us to be. Show us who we are in you so that we can live transformed lives by the power of your gospel. Lord, I pray that you would just give me clarity of, of thought and speech so that I can clearly communicate your word. Don't let me say things that are outside of what you want said. 
I pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross today and that people would see you. We're thankful for what you're going to do in this time. We surrender it to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So to reset where we find ourselves at here in Colossians, uh, we've spent the last couple of weeks in the bulk of Colossians 2 talking about the dangers of the philosophies and the teachings of the world. Uh, That it's easy to find ourselves thinking and living like the rest of the world, but that's a dangerous way to live. And, And if you thought that was scary, then last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about the danger of empty religion. That, that living and thinking like quote-unquote religious people doesn't actually help us. In fact, it can be a distraction. So uh, Paul has really offered us a glorious alternative to worldly living or empty religion, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Crucified, buried, risen again, living today. And he says, listen, you don't need worldly thinking. You don't need religious thinking. You need Jesus thinking. And that kind of thinking changes everything. Jesus is the one who changes our lives. So this thought is going to continue into chapter 3. And Paul's going to start getting really practical here. And honestly, just a warning, it's going to get a little personal in the next couple of weeks as he gets into the details of our lives. We're going to talk about some of those things on the next couple of Sundays. But today, I think, is a critical point in this series because Paul, throughout Colossians, has been talking about the glory of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, how he is above all things. He is so far beyond us, yet today, Paul is going to make this really personal. Jesus is indeed better than all the philosophies and ideas of the world and of religion. He is indeed the answer to all of life's questions. But here in chapter 3, Paul gets personal. And he's going to spend these first four verses talking about the reality of our standing in Christ. The reality of our standing with Christ. Does anybody remember the acronym DTR? No? Great, let me explain it. When a couple has been spending a lot of time together talking and hanging out, or let's be honest, it's 2022, so that means probably texting and messaging one another, there comes a point in time where one or both of the parties will say, we need to have a DTR. And that simply means this, define the relationship. Uh, Some of you millennials and down in here, you need to understand this term because it would probably make some of your relationships a lot less screwed up. So just write that down in your notes, DTR, right? It gets confusing sometimes, and let's just be honest, if you've ever had those conversations, you may have never heard that acronym, but you've had those conversations, it's awkward. It can be clunky and weird. But today, I want you to understand in these first four verses, I think we're having kind of a DTR with Jesus, but it's not awkward or clunky, friends. In fact, it is clarifying and it is super encouraging and clear. This text is going to so clearly define the relationship with Christ and talk about how that relationship should change us that it's going to give us great hope. So let's talk about the reality of our standing with Christ. The first truth we find in this passage is that we are raised with Christ. We are raised with Christ. Verse 1 starts with a really big if. 
Now, if you have the New International Version, it actually translates this word since. And I would say that I think that's probably a more appropriate a translation there because Paul is assuming at this point that he is addressing believers. But I don't want to make any assumptions today because I think this is a huge question that needs to be answered. This if might be the most important question of your life. Have you been raised with Christ? Have you been raised with Christ? This is talking about salvation, the fact that you and I are sinners who are separated from God, and this sin will eventually lead to our eternal death and eternal separation from God. The only hope you and I have is to somehow atone for our sins or to pay for our sins. The problem is, for all of humanity, people have been trying to do that very unsuccessfully. In fact, last the couple weeks in Colossians 2, we've really addressed those, right? Like the worldly philosophies of this world have not been able to fix our problems. Does anybody think that like, you know, the American education system has fixed our problems? Even teachers in the room are like, no, man. Right, does anybody think that our political system has fixed our problems? We're getting worse, right? No way, right? Like every four years, somebody tells me, this is the most important election of my life. I was like, you said that four years ago. A couple years, some of y'all are gonna tell me that again, right? And here's the reality. Both sides have had turns leading, hasn't gone well. It just seems to get worse and worse and worse. So academics, a political sphere, all of these worldly philosophies and enlightenment, economic plans, all of this that we think can fix our world, but it's just been getting worse and worse and worse. Do you know today that in America, the church, especially some churches, are growing bigger and faster than they ever have before at any point in American history? I want to ask you a question. There are more big, huge churches in America than there have ever been before. And let me just ask, how's that changing our culture? <laughs> Is it working? So here's what I want to tell you. Just like Paul has been telling us, the worldly philosophies, the empty religion of our world, they are not fixing this sin problem. We have a problem that is just spiraling out of control. There is a debt that we cannot pay. And for all of history... Humanity has tried to fix ourselves, to try to somehow pay for our sin, yet we still find ourselves in this position. But the good news of the gospel is that even though we have a debt we could not pay, Jesus came to pay our sin debt. He came and died on the cross and he paid the price for our sin. He took the sin that we was ours on himself and he died on the cross and took it to the grave. But when he walked out of that tomb, he brought new life for us. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when we become disciples of Jesus, when we become Christ followers, Jesus' death becomes our death and Jesus' life becomes our life. Romans 6, 5 says it this way, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's what it means to become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we quote it so often. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. When we become a disciple of Christ, we die. His death becomes our death and his life becomes our new life. That's what Paul means when he says that we have been raised with Christ. 
Oh, but friends, this is a big if. Have you been raised with Jesus today? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Don't just assume this. I think it's so easy for us to think, well, I grew up in church. I know all the theological answers, but are you alive today? I'm really wondering. Are we alive? And are you alive in Christ? Because the way we answer that changes everything. If you don't know Jesus today, church, if you don't know Jesus today, friends, guests that are with us, then the invitation of Christ is to come and die and find new life in Christ. Jesus isn't a self-improvement plan. He's not like you but better. No, come and die. Be resurrected and find your new life in Christ. So again, in context, Paul really isn't asking if you've been raised with Christ. I think it would be better translated since you've been raised with Christ. He's addressing believers, and because you have been raised with Christ, he's gonna have a couple of commands here. So these are kind of sub-points to being raised with Christ if you're trying to take notes today. Two commands. First, he says, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Now, that sounds kind of vague and spiritual, but, but it's really not because the very next phrase says, where Christ is. So Paul is saying, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been saved today, then seek Jesus. Your whole life is different now. Your life is about seeking Christ with everything that you are. I love, again, the New International Version's translation where it says, set your hearts on things that are above. The reason I like that is because, really, this idea of seeking is all about our affections. Do we love Christ? As Jesus said it, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question becomes, what's your treasure? Well, I think you can find your treasure by answering this question. What are you seeking in your life? What are you seeking? If your treasure is success, can I tell you, friends, you're going to work as hard as you can all the time and be absolutely sold out to being successful at work. If your treasure is your kid's success, which I think is probably even more popular than our own personal success, then you're going to spend all of your time and money taking them to every single select special sports, music, dance, whatever thing there is. Where do you spend your time, your talent, and your treasure? That has a way of revealing our hearts. It reveals what we're seeking. And Paul says to us today, man, you have the inexhaustible source of joy, hope, and life in Christ, yet you continue to seek after all these other things. But if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If you've been raised with him, set your heart on Christ. Love him in such a way that it changes everything. Not only are we to seek Jesus, but we're called in this text to set our minds on things that are above. The language here is really talking about what we think about. I love how the MacArthur commentary puts it. In a sense, this is saying, have this inner disposition about you. Let me ask you that question. What is the inner disposition of your life today? I didn't ask like how you faked it on the way in, right? <laughs> Amen, praise the Lord, yeah. But what is your inner disposition today? 
What is it that consumes you? What do you think about? Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things that are above. And setting your mind on things that are above necessitates, as the text says, that we don't set our minds on the things of this world. Guys, I gotta be honest. I think when I evaluate my inner disposition, most of the time, it's set and ruled by worldly things. Money, stuff, relationships, home repairs, work, conflicts, on and on we can go, right? But here's what I want you to understand. That stuff is real. And this is not a call just to ignore that stuff. This isn't a call to simply say, well, you know what? I'm just gonna set my mind on eternity. My mortgage will take care of itself. I mean, if you do that, you're gonna be more like Jesus, specifically in the area of homelessness. But like we said earlier, the the Bible consistently is going to call us to take care of things on this earth, to work, to lead, to rule over this present age. God doesn't really give us an option to sit out. So this is not a call to ignore the earth and ignore the realities of life. But friends, this is so important. What this is a call to do is to set our mind and to set our mind is to change our perspective and our inner disposition as we do these things. So the way we look at the world and the way we go about living in this world should be radically different than those of people who don't know Christ. My values, my goals, my hopes, my ambitions, even the practical ways that I raise my kids, the the way that I go to work, the way that I do everything in my life should be different because they're all run through the filter of eternity is where Christ is seated at the right hand of God so we've got these clear commands set your heart and your mind on Jesus and on eternity and I think we so often talk about these things but but if we can just be real with one another and isn't it hard to stay in that mode like maybe even right now you you feel a sense of like man I need that freedom I need to be able to change that perspective. That would change my life. I want to do that. But, but what happens between now and like Wednesday, right? Like it's tough to stay here. But I think one of the reasons we struggle to stay in this inner disposition of hearts and minds set on Christ is because we fail to truly understand the reality of our standing with Jesus. So that's why I think this text is so important. So we've been talking about what it means to be raised with Christ. The second truth we see is that Paul says we have been hidden with Christ. Look at verse three. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is an important doctrine that I think we often miss. It's called union with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And 2 Peter 1.4 says that we are partakers of the divine nature. And I love Ephesians 1.3. It says that we have been blessed with Christ with every blessing in the heavenly places. Union with Christ means that we are literally in Christ. Brothers and sisters, in a real sense, you and I have multiple addresses today. We've talked about the reality of Christ in us, but we are also today in Christ. First Peter talks about the inheritance that is kept in heaven for us by Jesus. Our lives are hidden with Christ. 
Let me describe union to you in this way. If salvation, if Jesus, let's say, were an aircraft, how are you getting to heaven on that aircraft? Some of you today, and some, a lot of empty religion teaches this, that you better get your pilot's license and learn how to navigate that thing. Some of you, if you're honest today, you're just like, I'm just trying to hold on to a wing and do the best I can and hope I get there. But the reality of union with Christ is that you are a passenger. You are just inside the plane by nothing of your own, by only placing your faith in Christ. You are in him and you are safe and secure and you will get to our final destination because of his work, not our own. If you are saved and in Christ today, you need to recognize what this means. You are safe and secure for all eternity because of Christ and his work on the cross. Even though we still have this flesh, yes, even though we still live in this fallen world, our eternity is secure in him. And union with Christ means that we have access to the joy, the peace, the hope, and the security that literally comes from the heavenly places, even now, today. I don't think you get it because you should be more blown away than you are right now. Oh, to think about what this means. Even in the midst of our pain, our trials, our struggles, we can set our hearts and minds on Jesus because he is with us and we are with him. No wonder Paul gets so hyped in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read this to you. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about that? Amen. Listen, church. Paul didn't live with his head in the clouds. He didn't live detached from the realities of the earth. He went through things. He had massive opposition on this earth. He, he boldly stood up and declared the gospel to a culture that did not want to hear it. He was beaten within an inch of his life multiple times. He was almost killed over and over again. There were days where I'm sure Paul felt like a sheep that was just being led to the slaughter. But because he knew that he had been raised with Christ, because he knew that his life was hidden in Christ, he had this incredible perspective. Oh, friends, this is what it looks like to have a heart and a mind that are set on Christ. This perspective flows out of the reality of our union with Christ today. 
We're hidden with Christ. The last truth we find here in Colossians 3, though, is found in verse 4, and it's that we will be revealed with Christ. We will be revealed with Christ. Verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And what an awesome promise this is. It really has a couple of implications. First this, when you die, if you are in Christ, you're going to be with the Lord. Isn't that good news? The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you close your eyes on this side of eternity, you will open them in glory and you will be with Christ. You will quite literally appear with Christ in that moment. Oh, that's the hope of the Christian life. That's why we can say, like Paul says, man, to to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And it's better because when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. But you also need to know that when this language of appearing is used in the New Testament, it's often talking about the appearing of the Lord, which is his second coming. When Christ is going to return with his church to rule and to reign on the earth. I want to read you a scripture this morning from Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. This is what the scripture says. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, y'all, that's us, arrayed in fine linen, we're part of that army, white and pure, we're following him on white horses. Y'all, we're getting a horse, isn't that awesome? From his mouth, my kids are going to be so, every Christmas they've asked, but it's finally coming one day. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Brothers and sisters, there is a day coming when Jesus will come back to reign forever and ever, and he will bring his people with him to rule and reign with him. We will be with him in glory and then we will rule and reign in the new heaven and the new earth alongside him. This reality gives us great hope today. We will be revealed with Christ. That's the Jesus we're following today. Not the weird like Jesus that a lot of people talk about. Like my Jesus is gonna ride a white horse and he like has a tattoo that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his thigh. And he's leading us in procession to come back and rule and reign on this earth. Some of you weren't ready for that. Read your Bible again. What an incredible picture and what an incredible day that will be. But it gives us hope today. Church, I pray that you and I would be so heavenly minded that we would be of earthly good. This world needs to know that we have a real living Savior and that we've been raised with him, that we live like we have been hidden with him and we live with the reality that we will be revealed with him. This is the reality of our standing with Christ today. Church, are you encouraged by this? Oh, I pray that you would be because the world needs to see and encourage church. We're all running around, dragging, 
oh man, we're losing our influence in the culture. When you start feeling that way, I want to invite you to go back to Revelation 19 and read that passage again. Y'all, the reality is Jesus Christ has raised you to new life. You are hidden with him and you will be revealed with him. That changes the way you think about, the way you live, and the way you go about every single moment of every single day of your life. So Christ follower, you ought to leave encouraged today by your standing with Christ. But here's my heart for us today, friends. I really do want you to have a DTR moment I want you to define your relationship with Jesus. Are you in Christ today? Have you been raised with him? Are you hidden with him? Will you be revealed with him? If that's true, y'all, then our lives should look a lot different than they do. Just plainly, bluntly said. If you really believe what we're talking about today, we ought to be different. But if you don't know Christ, I want to tell you that this standing, it can be yours today if you call upon him. We're going to have time of response in a moment where we sing a song. I'm going to be standing down here on the front row. I want to invite you, if you need to know what it means to know Jesus, come grab me and say, hey, I'm ready to have a new standing in Christ today. And if you don't want to do that during the service, you find me after the service. Don't leave this place if you don't know Jesus without having this standing in Christ that is ours through the power of the gospel. I pray that, church, we would know him in such a way that it radically changes us and when we radically are changed, I believe that God will use us to radically change this city and the communities around us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reality of the gospel. The reality of the gospel that, Lord, has raised us with you, that has hidden us with you, and that will reveal us one day with you. God, I pray that the hope of the gospel would change us. I pray, Lord, that we would be so set on you and so set on eternity that it changes the way we live today in a powerful way. Oh, Lord, we're thankful for the cross that makes all this possible. Lord, I pray for my friends in this room. Lord, I know that on a day like today, it could be easy to hear this message and then go on about our lives, but Lord, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would let this truth sink down deep into our hearts and that it would be part of helping us get rooted in you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're gonna do. It's in your name we pray.